Amen. What a great season of the year it is, Christmas. Even those who don't believe in the divinity of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and his great birth and life and death and resurrection, even they replicate that this is the great gift-giving season. It's a testimony of God's great gift to us, eternal life through Christ our Lord. I'm grateful that our worship ministry helps lead us to thoughts about a giving of anything that we have to give. And that song reminds us of that. Well, let's look to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 today. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, as we're thinking about the joy of Christmas. Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For many shepherds, their livelihood made them outcast or at least marginalized people, particularly from those who followed the strict order of the law. People considered shepherds to be unclean because they couldn't follow the ceremonial cleansing laws. The Mishnah, which is the written version of the oral traditions of the Jewish practices, encouraged people to stay away from certain professions. People including camel drivers. Anybody hanging around camel drivers these days? The Mishnah said, don't do that. Or barbers. Or cobblers or shepherds. All of those people were considered those that you would stay away from. I sort of enjoy going to my barber. How about you? God, though, loves people unconditionally, doesn't he? It's not like he has identified a certain number of people that he's going to stay away from. In fact, the people that most others would stay away from, Jesus tended to move towards. He was hanging out with people who others would say, oh, don't do that. In fact, he took a lot of flack for hanging out with sinners, for eating with people that others considered to be outcasts, for seeking after them. But Jesus likened himself to them, and he likened himself as a shepherd of all people, he saw himself as a caring, loving, good shepherd. In fact, John chapter 10 is one of our favorites of all the gospels, isn't he? He says, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He saw himself as that. Now, what God is doing from eternity to past is helping us to see that shepherds would pay, play a prominent role in the first advent and very purposefully so. Specifically, those shepherds who would tend to the lambs who would become the sacrificial lambs there at the temple. From his birth, God wants us to recognize that 
Jesus is inextricably linked to his death and the fact that shepherds are active in that role of his birth is very prominent in this narrative. These were not just any shepherds. These were shepherds who were tending to the sacrificial animals there in Jerusalem. Now, the prophets had spoken specifically about the Messiah's birth, just as they had about his life and his death and his resurrection. Micah started that when he was talking about the birth of the Savior there in Bethlehem and that that would be revealed at the Migdal Eder, which is a tower of the flock. It's, it's where shepherds would go to oversee the flocks. In fact, Micah chapter 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel. Those coming forth from, is from old, from ancient days. So here's one. He's talking about one from eternity past who is going to come forth from the smallest of all the clans. So discreet, the Lord's coming. And then we get a little more specific to the nature of the prophecy in Micah 4, 8. And you, O tower of the flock, Migdal Eder, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So this tower of the flock was a watchtower specifically for those certain shepherds who tended to very special sheep. According to the Mishnah, many of those sheep became the sacrifices that were regularly offered there in the temple. So on the night of the first advent, from the Migdal Eder, the shepherds are watching over their flocks. Now, leaders had selected these shepherds to be the ones who attend the flocks of the temple, they were selected from a very early age. And they were well-versed, well-educated in the requirements of the law. What was required of the sacrifices who would, that would be offered there? Only the most careful and well-trained shepherds are going to be able to identify and maintain the purity of those unblemished lambs that God required for sacrifice. Only the most skilled would ensure that those animals would remain alive and disease-free and injury-free and not have blemishes. And so to ensure that, the shepherds would bring those ewes into the migdalator in that lower section for protection, especially when it came time for the lambing. And when that season was there, they were very alert when sheep might come. And they would bring them in and protect them. And when lambs were born, they were placing them in a hewn depression of the limestone rock or one that had been formed into what is commonly known as a manger. It wasn't uncommon for the shepherds to swaddle them, to protect them so that they could prevent them from injury, making certain that they would be spotless without blemish so that their value would be evident when they presented them before the Lord in sacrifice. 
It's not by chance that those shepherds who were attending those lambs heard the voice of the angel and the pronouncement that the shepherd, the spotless lamb of God, was now born. God purposefully linked the birth of Jesus to those who are providing the sacrificial lambs so that all of us would understand that his birth is linked to his sacrificial death, providing for us the means that we might be saved. So every sacrifice revealed the need for a savior. Every sacrifice, every day, proved that there was a cost to sin And when you heard that little lamb bleeding out its sound and seeing its blood move from its body, it was a reminder that sin has significant sacrificial cost. The priest prepared and made daily sacrifices at the temple. And the timing was always the same. At 9 a.m., sacrifice was made. And at 3 p.m., the second sacrifice was made was made it wasn't coincidental that that would be the exact time in which Jesus would first be nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. and Jesus would die on the cross at 3 p.m. God is wanting us to catch this link that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world So from heaven's first announcement to the shepherds who were overseeing the sacrificial lambs to the daily sacrifices that are being made, God is illustrating for us the means by which all people may be saved. Salvation comes from the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who lays down his life that the sins of the world might be taken away. This is the background of the Bethlehem shepherds. And because of that, we're drawn deeply into the passage that might just ring so commonly during this season of time. Go back with me to Luke chapter two, verse eight. And and you'll hear with the emphasis of the background that we now know. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Not just any flock, but their flock in that region. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, very specifically, right? To them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So God reveals Jesus as Savior through the details of the nativity. So just take your time when you're reading and when you're listening to the text of the scripture about all the surroundings of Jesus and his birth. Take your time and listen and meditate. So I want us to focus on a couple of different parts of the message that the angel gave from heaven to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you great news, good news with great joy that will be for all people. Now let's just focus in on a couple of those phrases. First of all, Jesus is giving us a life without fear. The angel's message was simple but profound. Fear not. And it's about as simple as you can get in a command. But man, how powerful those words are. Fear not. 
I want to take you back into the first century for a moment and just let you know that there was a whole lot of reason for them to be fearful. In fact, fear was abounding in the first century, and rightfully so. It was a rough and challenging place to live. Life was brutal on earth. There was a harshness about it. Historians note that it was a time of weariness and despair. You saw very little to be joyful about in that day. Fear was rampant in the time of Christ's birth, for darkness had enveloped the world. What am I meaning by that? Well, first of all, before the events surrounding the conception and then the birth of Jesus Christ, God was purposefully silent to his prophets. God was not declaring his word for four centuries. Can you imagine living without God's word for 400 years and the darkness that would come from that? Can you imagine God speaking through his prophets for a number of years, hundreds of years, and then all of a sudden silence coming? That's exactly what was experienced. And that stayed that way until the announcement that the Savior was here. The announcement that the Savior would be conceived and born. Until that time, there was silence. And at the same time, Herod was ruling from his throne with cruelty and brutality. People there lived in fear of him, and they had every reason to fear him. The king had free reign to exercise his evil antagonism as he saw fit, and he did so. He executed people who he believed to be a threat against him. It did not matter if they were enemies or they were friends or family. If he thought that you were against him, you were dead. And there was a lot of reason to fear him. Much of the world faced the iron force of the Roman Empire and the threat of war and economic collapse was common among the world in that day. Many suffered loss and destruction because of the heaviness of the Roman Empire. Sickness and disease was absolutely relentless as a result. One half of all Romans did not live till the age of 10. The average length of life for those in the Roman Empire was 35. This was a, a deadly, brutal time in the lives of people. Fear pervaded, but God's first word that he announced to the shepherds following the birth of Christ is, fear not. What great words those were. What, what challenging words they were. What hope there is in the words, fear not. For the first time in a long time, there could be life without fear. So the angel's message was that Jesus, the Savior, had been born. But the first command was based on that reality, that extraordinary reality that Christ the Savior was born. In other words, you don't have to fear anymore because the Savior is born. The one who is going to save you from the brokenness, the one who is going to save you from all the harshness, he is born. The one who will save your life eternally is born. Fear not. Now, you and I live in an advanced world. When you think about technology and science, good grief, do we ever live in an advanced world? But the world is still marked with brutality, isn't it? Still marked with tyrannical leaders. They still instill their fear in people all around the world. 
China and Russia want to expand their influence and their regions and they're willing to do so with brute military force and many of the world is in fear of that scenario. Iran and North Korea cry out for death against their enemies. They want to destroy them. The church is enduring significant persecution around the world as evil forces including Islamists and Hindu extremists and Buddhists and communists and atheists and, and others are coming against Christians in a strong way and for many they live in fear all around the world. COVID-19 and the variants that come following the initial surge throughout the world has brought life-altering fear to millions of people. Fear of the virus and fear of government overreach because of the virus is just rampant today. Many people fear that progressives will continue to undermine the institutions that have made this country so great. And there's a persistent fear that national leaders are consistently destabilizing our economy through irresponsible policies and spending. And that fear is just moving through people. Depending on your experience and where you live, your race, your ethnicity, you may fear violence, riots, injustice, or prejudice, or bigotry. From the first century to the 21st century, God has the same message to be received from all of us deep within our spirits. Fear not. Listen, church, you and I should not be living in fear because the Savior has come, because he dwells within us. We know what he's doing. We know the outcome of this world. And so he says to us, fear not, fear not, because you know him. And more importantly, he knows you. Fear not. So the angel has announced this grand new reality. The Savior is born, providing the means for a different emotional response from us from that moment forward. Fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who's Christ the Lord. I can remember as a kid, my dad would finally settled down after his day of work and typically if there was daylight he was putting on the same pair of blue jeans and the same t-shirt and he'd head out and he'd work outside for a while until it was dark and uh, we would come in and we'd have dinner he'd settle into his chair and uh, he'd say periodically Randy I need you to go get the paper for me now we sort of lived out of town uh, they had a, a gentleman's farm about 25 acres or so and uh, what I remember as a kid it, it wasn't that big of a deal but as a kid I remembered a long driveway now if I go back there today it's probably 75 feet long but when your dad tells you as a kid I need you to go get the paper and it's dark outside uh, you're really not too excited about that and I would start trotting out there to go get the paper. And I was usually fairly confident until the point that I opened the box and got the paper. 
and was turning around heading towards home and inevitably I would hear something or I just had that sense that something was out there in the dark. Anybody had that moment and every hair on the back of your head just kind of stands up and you kind of get that fight or flight syndrome that kicks in and for me it was always flight. You better take off running boy and I would move to the balls of my feet and I would lean forward and I'd run as hard as I could run all the way back home and my imagination could sense something was chasing me back there until I rushed through the front door of the house and brought my dad a paper and stood beside him while he read his paper because something was out there. <laughs> I know what fear is and I know what it's like to be away from the presence of that fear in the house with the door closed standing by my dad. You probably have a similar experience of sensing that kind of fear and running to where you know there's safety. And as a kid, there's no greater safety, at least in my life, because my experience was good, no greater safety than being in my father's home near him. Jesus came to be that presence for us. Jesus came to be that protector, that savior, the defender. I want us to remember that Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. He is a victorious warrior. He is a conquering king. He is the great I am. And what's amazingly unique about him is that our hope is that we not run to him as if you're a child running to the father. Our great hope is he came running to us. He came running to us in our fear. He came running to us where our needs were. He came running to us in our brokenness. He did not wait on us to come to him because we would never come to him. He came to us and what a great thing that is. And he came to us which is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God incarnate came in the flesh when we were desperately in need of him with great fear. And so he says to us from heaven, fear not. The Redeemer came looking for us to purchase us, to redeem us, to bring us from sin and death and judgment, which really are the greatest of all fears the Lord came looking for you and me to set us free from fear and provide for us peace and security for our lives. He's the Holy One who came seeking us out in the midst of our sin. He's the healer who came to provide for us in our sickness and our dying health and restoration. So Jesus came to us. And it's not like Jesus came to dwell among us there in Bethlehem or in Galilee or in Jerusalem or any other locale. Instead, Jesus came to dwell among us to take up residence in our hearts, to dwell within us as in our person that we might be his tabernacle, to dwell within us, to reside within us, to be with us forever. It's not like he's coming and going He's come to dwell within us. And so when we understand the realities of Christ, then we can stand confidently without fear in this world. 
And so Luke chapter 2 is all the more significant to us when we understand the words from heaven to us, fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He has come to us. When we understand that, we can live without fear. So living with Christ is to live without fear. When you fear, when I fear, it's an indicator that something is amiss in our heart. That emotion is an indicator that we have taken our focus off the reality that Christ is dwelling within us, that Christ is providing for us, that the great king of the universe is ours. And it's an opportunity to reset back to truth. Oh, I can live without fear because Christ dwells within me. Now, I'll just remind us that that doesn't mean that you and I are not going to experience scary things. We will. We live in a very broken world with very evil people in it. We experience calamity just like everybody else in the world experiences that. And yet Jesus gives us the means to think and to respond differently. I, I like the way Ray Steadman talks about this where he describes Christians are people who are completely fearless, continually cheerful, but constantly in trouble. Those are not mutually exclusive from one another. We live in constant trouble because we live in a broken world, but that does not negate the fearlessness that we can have, nor the cheer that we can have from living with the joy of Jesus Christ. The realities are just different with Christ dwelling with us. So fearlessness comes with an extensive and accurate view of God. And God has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. For he is a good father, and he is a righteous judge, and he is a mighty avenger, and he's a perfect reconciler, and he is making all things new. And when we have a broad and full perspective of who God is and what he has afforded to us, we can live with fearlessness. So let Christmas be a time to be reminded of that kind of truth. Now the second message that I want us to focus in on that heaven wanted to make sure we understood is that he's, the angel says this, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Now, there are many reasons for us to experience joy in the holidays. What brings you joy in the holidays? All right, th these are ranking up there for me. On my Richter scale of joy in the holidays, this one is pegging out. Sweet potato casserole. Anybody want to say amen to that? <laughs> Sweet potato casserole is going to bring joy to me during this holiday season. And it'll probably be the same for you if you have a wife that makes sweet potato casserole like mine does. It starts off with sweet potatoes and in case it needs more sweetness, she adds a whole new measure of brown sugar on top of it to make the sweet potatoes even more sweet and that brings joy to my palate. But joy is sitting around the fire pit outside on a cool Christmassy day or evening. 
just the joy of being around family. Or joy is lying in bed and seeing to my right a little one-year-old who's a grandson and seeing on my left on a pallet a near three-year-old grandson right by my bedside. That brings joy during the holiday season. I mean, we could go on about what brings joy. Anybody with me on this? What brings joy is old-fashioned fudge. <laughs> or peanut brittle made in a cast iron. You with me on that? Right, those are some of the joys during the holiday season. But joy is part of God's grace and extension to us. It's, it's, it is a result of his goodness to us. And yeah, I think sweet potato casserole is part of God's goodness to us. I mean, he didn't have to just give us all the savory flavors, but he did. He chose to do that, and he, he did it because he's good. But, but notice what the joy is mentioned here by the angel is not just joy, but it's more than that. Christmas is not about joy like what I was describing. Christmas is great joy. The word in the original language is pretty easy for us to understand, even if you haven't studied the Greek language, Koine Greek language. It's megas joy. You know what that means, megas. It's like mega joy. Now, joy is pretty common to be used in the scriptures. In fact, if you parse through all the scriptures, you'll find that joy is mentioned about 200 times in the Bible. It's a big deal. But the phrase great joy is limited. The, the phrase great joy is only mentioned nine times in the entirety of the scripture. And whenever it's mentioned, it's always something extraordinary that God is doing to, to a group of people such as it was extraordinary when Solomon was anointed king, the successor of King David's throne was anointed. And that brought, according to the scripture, great joy to the people of Israel. And other times that great joy is mentioned when the reinstatement of the Passover was brought after generations had just absolutely rejected and forgotten the Passover, when, when that was reinstituted among the people, the Bible says that there was great joy among them because they were worshiping as God had prescribed them to worship and they understood that God was atoning for them. And, and when the people came home from exile along with Nehemiah and they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, that brought, according to the Bible, great joy. It's an extraordinary joy that, that God has done something. And when Jesus was known to be resurrected or the people saw him ascending to the right hand of the Father, it's that kind of movement of God that brought great joy. So in other words, joy is mentioned throughout the scripture, but great joy, God is doing something big, megas, and he's doing it to a select group of people. But Christmas is totally different. God is doing something megas, yes. God is doing something extraordinary, but the angel is announcing that this great joy is not for a select group of people. This great joy is for all the people. And you ought to say hallelujah to that. Great joy for all of us is offered. It's a supernatural working of God. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all 
all the people. Let me just drill into that for a moment. That means not a single person is discounted. You say, but you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know my present. All I know is God said it's for all people. Not a single person is discounted. Not a single person is disallowed. Not a single person is denied the opportunity to know this great joy that is provided for all people. God is speaking to you. He's speaking to me that there is great joy afforded without bias, without prejudice, without partiality, without favoritism. The good news is unto is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's great news of great joy for all people. God in the flesh is offering salvation to all people. Now reflecting on the news of Christ our Savior brings us great joy. It's, it's why we, you and I celebrate. I mean, we're spending four Sundays talking about Christmas. Why? Because it brings us great joy and encouragement. In a world that's greatly discouraged, we, we focus on the one who brings us great joy. Joy that reaches higher than our greatest problems and deeper than our deepest sorrows and sufferings. This is the kind of joy that God has afforded to us in Christ. It doesn't negate the experiences that you have. It doesn't remove those experiences. It's in the midst of those experiences that you can have great joy. In the midst of your greatest troubles, you can find great joy in Jesus. In the midst of your deepest sorrows, you can find great joy in the realities of Jesus in your life. That's incredible. God reminds us that he has afforded that kind of truth for us. So salvation's joy is higher and deeper and wider and more broad than any of the experiences that we have in this world. This supernatural reality that changes the outcome of all of our earthly experiences for our God is good and glorious and he's made himself known in Jesus Christ very personally to each of us. And that brings great joy. But it's a joy that has to be received. It's a savior that has to be acknowledged. It's a Messiah who has to be surrendered to. For you to experience that kind of joy, you have to submit your life to him. Because just knowing there's a king doesn't necessarily bring joy. It certainly didn't bring joy to Herod that there was a king who had been born in the city of David. In fact, it brought rage. It brought hatred. It brought murder. It didn't bring joy to those who were postulating themselves to find favor with God among their religions. It didn't bring joy to them. It didn't bring joy to them when this Messiah didn't fit in the mold that people had in thinking this is what he'll be like. It didn't bring joy to them. But for those 
who understood the Messiah's message, for those who understood what the scripture had been talking about from ages past, for those who understood that Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to bring new life for all who will submit and surrender to him. It brought great joy. It was good news that the Savior was born. And so to talk about fearless life and to talk about the Savior's great joy requires a response. If you've yet to yield your life to Jesus, let me tell you, fearlessness and joy will come in you submitting yourself to him. Forsaking the sin in your life, forsaking the will that you've been living with and saying, Lord, I choose you. Take my life, Lord, as it is. Forgive me, please, I pray of my sin. Let my life be forever changed by your righteousness and your presence. And Lord, I pledge to live my days unto you and for your glory. And that will bring a change like never before. Lord, as we pause now to just reflect on the great truths, I pray that you're moving some to receive the truth that Jesus is Messiah, the Savior born into us. And I pray for many in this room who have you as Savior and Lord, that they would receive the truth and live fearlessly and with great joy as they submit themselves to you. And I pray, Lord, for those who have experienced great hurt and suffering and pain and fear, that they'd be more confident today in Christ their Savior. Let the good news transform them today, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.